Welcome to Farcast. Now here's your host, Michael Farr. Welcome to the Farcast. I am Michael Farr. We are with you once again this week from Washington, D.C. Thank you so much for joining us. It's a great pleasure to be with you again. Have a fabulous Farcast for you this evening. And ladies and gentlemen, believe it or not, in front of a live studio audience. Say hi, live studio audience. There we go. How about that? It's just absolutely remarkable. That could be the entire Farcast audience who normally listens, you know, who's actually in with us today. Uh, Jim Urio in our first segment. We're going to cover Wall Street, and boy, we have a lot to cover. Volatility is back. Markets moving all around. We're breaking through some very difficult resistance levels. Uh, some folks are getting worried. I bet Urio's not, but I can't wait to hear from him. Uh, we have Dan Mahaffey. Uh, our senior political analyst coming up, of course, for segment two on Washington. The president has returned from Paris, and the uh, president made lots of headlines while he was in Paris. And then finally, uh, in segment three, when we talk about the world and investing and everything else, my old friend Tom Heath, my old friend Tom Heath from the Washington Post, the senior columnist and personal finance columnist from the Washington Post. We have a great forecast for you tonight. Please remember that on the forecast, we believe that money is hard to make. We believe that old-fashioned research, hard work, discipline, and patience are the keys to successful investing. And remember, above all, we believe that emotion is the foe of the long-term investor. So if you're feeling fearful or ebullient, uh, take a walk around the block. Don't change your money or the position of it. Uh, remember why you invested in whatever it was you invested, and if that thesis is still uh, strong, go with it. All right. Now, uh, one of our most popular market guests, uh, we get great feedback whenever we have uh, the great Jim Urio on uh, the forecast. Jim, you've seen him on CNBC forever, managing director of TJM Institutional Services. He's a veteran futures and options trader. He is a pro's pro and, uh, never forget, a 1987 graduate of the University of Illinois with a B.A. in economics. So he actually, you know, has some credentials to talk about all this. Hey, Jim, welcome back to the Farcast. Thank you very much for having me, Michael. Dude, it's great when you come on. We always learn so much. Uh, and, and so let's start with the learning right now. Uh, a weird day in the markets today after a significant drop yesterday. What did you make of it? Well, I, it, it, it's not a good thing when we couldn't keep the bid we had today. So I think in the short term, whatever it is we're going through. Stop, hang on, let me stop yet. you there. You say it's not a good thing when we couldn't keep the bid we had today. What does that mean for Fred and Ethel when they're listening? It means there's, it means there's still people who look for pops and want to pull back risk. And, and that's fine. That's one of the characteristics of a correction. Uh, the corrections happen, remember, and you know this better than anybody, but everybody gets tubled up. Everybody forgets the fact that it's risky being in stocks. And then all of a sudden risk comes and slaps you in the face. And then for the next weeks, maybe months at times, every time there's strength in the market, people are like, okay, this is my opportunity to finally get out. And I think that's what we saw today. And I, again, on the short term, I don't think we're through with what we're, we're supposed to get through here. But a corrective phase is ultimately healthy for the market. So I'm, I'm fine with all that's happening here. Okay, so let me ask you this. So you say, you know, sort of once again, risk may be mattering uh, to markets and that investors are selling strength. I've argued for a long time that during quantitative easing, 
people stopped worrying about risk. The Fed was there to save the banks, right? I mean, it used to be if you'd invest. My grandfather used to say, don't invest anything in the stock market. You can't afford to lose. And then, you know, and I think most people believe that, particularly those who had any uh, contact with the Depression and the crash of 29 and all of that. But, you know, uh, when when the Federal Reserve stepped up and seemed to backstop the market on every one of the major sell-offs. And you'd get a Fed governor coming to the microphone saying, well, maybe there's something else we can do. You know, even Draghi started doing it over in Europe. So when the Fed has changed course, Jim, now that the Fed is tightening and other central banks are beginning this uh, removal of accommodation, will risk once again matter? And, and does this reprice markets? And, and, and do you think this goes much lower? Um, I think it could go a bit lower, too. Remember, it's happening. One of the reasons that the Fed's been emboldened is that our economic condition was strong in gathering strength. I'm not sure it's gathering strength right at the moment, too, right now. But if if the Trump administration didn't come in with um, changing the tax burdens of companies, particularly around the country, um, changing the regulatory burden as well, the, the Fed wouldn't have felt confident enough to raise rates. So they're in this balancing act right now of can we raise rates compared to what's going on in positive note. And if that continues, I think we're okay. But, yes, the the situation you painted of 10 years of zero rates essentially across the board, where at the end of the day people are like, don't know what to buy, might as well buy U.S. stocks. It's better than just stuffing my money in the mattress. Yeah, when we move away from that scenario, it's – going to, uh, you know, lack elegance. It's going to be a little bit messy sometimes. So when we said, you know, I don't know what else to do with my money, I think I might as well buy stocks. Everybody nicknamed that Tina for there is no alternative. So is is Tina in intensive care? Uh, Is is Tina been diagnosed with something more dire? Of that, there's no question. Tina's in intensive care because now now you have to buy stocks for a real fundamental thesis like you know certain companies that you think they have the the game figured out and they're going higher before you just bought that's why and one of the reasons over the last 10 years we saw such dramatic correlations not only between sectors but within sectors is because the money was kind of being pushed toward the stock market indiscriminately like okay just shovel it in now all of a sudden it becomes and i hate this expression i'm going to use it anyway it becomes a stock picker's market i don't mean I don't mean it like some of the other sell-side guys mean it. What I mean is that it, the, it, there's alternatives for your money now, so you better make darn sure that what you're putting your money in is wide. Because I can get 3% in a two-year right now or thereabouts. You get 3% in a two-year treasury right now. And so it, that means if I'm going to invest in anything else, right, uh, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm taking more risk. I know I can get 3% for no risk. Am I willing to buy a stock where I could be and put things at risk for a 6% return next year or a 7% return next year? I mean, Right, that's exactly what I'm saying. So if you were going to average 5% in the stock market, it made sense when you couldn't get any money, uh, anything on your, um, uh, your, on your IR stuff. But now that, uh, now that there's 3%, you, it, it's a choice. You know what I mean? It's like if corn goes up, wheat follows it. If there is an up, alternative now. We've moved from yes. Tina to Tia. There is exactly. an alternative, Tina to Tia. All right. Amen, brother. Amen, brother. Tia Maria. I don't know. I hate that stuff. I had a Tia Maria hangover at some point when I was in college that I can still remember as vividly. Well, 
Uh, it wasn't the only one I had, but but the Tia Maria, that was, oh, God. You know, when somebody first hands you a glass of that stuff, you think it's so delicious. God, this is great. Is this boost? Is this, this is just delicious. Uh, oh, my God. I wouldn't know like I ever Famous last words. That means you have another. God almighty. All right. So now as, as we look ahead here, so now fundamentals matter. So when you say stock pickers, you mean somebody uh, needs to actually pay attention to a balance sheet and earnings and an income statement and, 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 and the real ratios yeah. and relative valuations. Is that what you mean? Yes. And I also mean sectors as well. What That's do you mean by sectors? The- Why sectors? Well, because before, like I said, everything, the money just went in, and people who didn't have the time or inclination to figure out what sectors they wanted shoveled it into everything. Now you've got to decide. Technology, if we can uh, you know, figure out this trade skirmish with China, then technology will do well, because we've seen a nasty um, move from technology stocks into, uh, well, I'm not sure what they went into. Everything just seemed to go down. I personally think they're going to go into bank stocks, too. Going to bank stocks. What's wrong with the bank stocks? Why can't they catch a break? I mean, the bank stocks have looked like a dog's breakfast all year, and the fundamentals are there, and we can come up with this great argument as to why they should be benefiting. But 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 invest. Why do investors hate the banks? Because I think because they did so well right post election, particularly when guys like me started talking about a a time where Dodd Frank was going to be repealed, and so all that I think got priced in in the first year of it. Right. And everyone's like looking for the next story and the next story didn't come like i think the i think the bank stocks want a little bit higher rates and they want a steeper yield curve they're getting a little bit of a higher rates but they're not getting a steeper yield curve if all that falls into place i think you know then they're fine goldman sachs has really had a very difficult couple of days huh i know i'm long now so I really, i'm long I, have a- I am too but 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 <laughs> you know you get a six what in the hell difference let me ask you something what in the hell difference does 600 million dollars this sounds like an absurd question 600 million dollars make to the world of goldman sachs on the bottom line, zero, what does it mean? Zero bit of difference. Zero it's bit of difference. It's a rounding when error. When people are looking for it's a rounding error. to sell something anyway, then it's a good enough reason. Okay, so when you see that, so when I saw that yesterday, I see this stock down 7.5% on a dollar figure. Ladies and gentlemen, believe it or not, they've got so damn much money that $600 million does not make any significance. That's a bonus at Goldman Sachs. I mean, it is a bonus at Goldman You're exactly right. That's Tom <laughs> Heath from the Washington Post, ladies and gentlemen. He's right. So uh, what, what I'm saying is when you see it drop 7.5% on something that's ins- insignificant, what are you thinking? Somebody knows something you don't know, Jim? What do you, what do no, you think? No, I just, I just think there's people, there's people who are looking for reasons to sell it, and it almost becomes like delusional, like, oh, $600 million, that sounds like a lot. Let's sell it. But that's not the real reason. And I think you can go crazy. Look at, let, let me remind you of this. Back in February, right. the, uh, the unemployment numbers came out, and there was the tiniest – I think it was the end of January – the tiniest little bit of wage growth that all of a sudden sparked this little bit of selling. It was like 2.3%. I remember, 2.3%. Yeah, something like that. It was nothing. It was actually even explained away in the next couple days, but it didn't matter because the people had been bowled up too much, and it was time to open the doors to the downside. And I think that's what you have to look at when you look at these, these stories that seem completely insignificant to you and me. And guess what? They are insignificant, but not if there's people who are still looking for time to get out of their stock. So I think that's an excellent point. So talk to me now about the end of the year, okay? What, 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 how much of this volatility, and this is a sort of a very difficult question, of course, because it's a, such a short period. But what do you see here for the end of the year? What advice would you give to Fred and Ethel? And as, then my next question, just so you can think about it, as we go into 2019, 
tell Fred and Ethel how they need to change the way they're thinking about stocks or investing, given Tia as opposed to Tina. Here's, here's, I am Fred and Ethel with some of my money. I, other money is traded more actively. So I'll, I'm going to tell you what I, what I do and what I'm going to continue to do. And that's right now, you don't, you don't reposition rebalance when everybody else is rebalancing. I don't know if you ever watched Seinfeld. There was an episode of Seinfeld where George was pretending to be a stockbroker, and he gave the advice <laughs> of, of when, when everything in my body and everything in my brain tells me to sell it, I buy it. That's what Costanza said. And by the way, that episode I watched probably 25 years ago was the single best piece of advice I've ever gotten in investing. Absolutely. I someone else the other day. And they said to me, so you mean I'm supposed to ignore hedge fund billionaires who manage tons of money and listen to George Costanza? I said, absolutely. Yes, absolutely. That's what you're supposed to do. But anyway, that's right. But right now, when times are tough, is not the time to rebalance. Right now is the time you should be in a, I'm going to be in an accumulation phase. I think the S&P futures could trade down to 2600 again, which was that low from a couple weeks right, ago, and I'm right. perfectly I'm perfectly fine with that. Right now the technicals and the fundamentals are in conflict. The technicals still look bad to me, but the fundamental picture The technicals, you mean the charts and the trading patterns, huh? Yes, the trading pattern still looks relatively ugly. Ugly, yeah. But the fundamentals to me looks good. Okay. I think the election went okay. The Fed beat last week when we heard from them. To me, it sounded like there was a little bit of a crack when they said they saw, um, I think it was corporate, uh, they said something was uh, declining. It sounded a little bit less hawkish than it had before. There was a little more moderate language in there. It wasn't much, but a little, yeah. Yeah, yeah well, hey, little is a start. It's baby steps because they can't start really moderating the language until uh, after they, you know, because Zeese is pretty much locked in. They can't. They can't back off that, so else they'll look like they're out of control. It else it could look like they're uh, they're bowing to the whims of the president, and they don't want that to happen. But I expect them to start changing their language a little bit too. They've come a long way so far. Okay, so uh, going into 2019, it sounds like know what you own, stay the course, but uh, be careful I, I out there. Hill Street Blues was another one. Remember, be careful out there. Be careful out there. Yeah, so well, I think what we're saying is we've learned with 70s TV shows or 80s TV shows. That's all you that's need. That's all we need to know. That's all we exactly. Right. I we, think that. We I just wrote Heath's column for him for Sunday. <laughs> Amen. But I think that you, uh, you have to rebalance to reflect what your risk parameters are periodically. Yep. And it's nice to have a set time every six months, every year, and you look to yourself, if you had half your money in stocks and all of a sudden that's gone down because the stock market's gone down, you rebalance. And conversely, and more importantly, when things go up and all of a sudden you have 70 percent in stocks because the stock market has been on a ripper for the last year, you rebalance so that when these times of volatility and times of repricing come, you're not crushed. Jim Urio, uh, thank you so much for joining us on the forecast. We learn every time you're on managing director from TJM Institutional Services, a pros pro, a fellow CNBC contributor. And when I want to know something and I get confused in the world, what do you do? You call Yurio. Ladies and gentlemen, my friend Jim Yurio. Thanks, Jim. Ladies and gentlemen, thanks for being with us so far. We've got segment number two coming up with uh, uh, Dan Mahaffey. We're going to talk politics. And then Tom Heath is in the studio. And we're going to bring him on uh, uh, for our segment three about Washington world and investing. Stay with us on the Farcast. You're listening to Farcast. Do you have an upcoming function and need a dynamic speaker to engage your audience? You've enjoyed listening to the Farcast, so why not invite Michael Farr to speak at your next event? 
In addition to hosting the Farcast and serving as president of the advisory firm Farr, Miller, and Washington, Michael is the longest-serving paid contributor to CNBC. He is recognized by audiences, and his presentations on the economic outlook are always well-received. Michael has recently appeared at such venues as the Economic Club of Memphis, the University of Delaware, Matheson Financial Conference, and the YPO-WPO Economic Summit. Add your event to the growing list of organizations who have been informed and captivated by Michael insights. For more information or to book Michael for an upcoming event, please email me, Harry Jennings, at hjennings at farmiller.com or call me at 202-530-5608. You're listening to Forecast. Now here's your host, Michael Farr. Fabulous music. Welcome back to the Farcast. Don't you love the music? I come for the music uh, every week just to listen. Claude on the board there tonight. Thank you, Claude, very much. Taking good care of us, mostly with the music. Okay, Jim Urio. Always learn so much listening to Jim, uh, who apparently has learned a lot from George Costanza. Uh, that, that came a little bit out of left field. Uh, one of the most senior, well-respected guys on Wall Street, uh, quoting George Costanza. Um, and and actually, very good advice from George Costanza. Well, if it works for him, I guess. He's, you know, stick well, with it. You know, it's 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 very very hard to buy at the bottom. It's very hard to sell at the top, and a lot of that difficulty comes from your emotions. I mean, what you are at the bottom, you're just held and tortured by fear, and you're scared that anything you put in is going to go to half. But how do you know minute. you're at the bottom? You, you don't even know. You should call me. Yeah. And, uh, and I'll, okay, and you I'll know tell it. You, or just send me your money. And uh, Well, that's the point. You don't. And that's why it's so damn scary. Exactly. You, but you have to look at the numbers, I think, was the other thing that Jim said. Yeah. You have to look at those fundamentals, and you have to know at some point that there's a relative value there. I mean, I, looking at Goldman Sachs, and this is not a recommendation to buy or sell a security, ladies and gentlemen, and, and I'm jumping ahead of Mahaffey, which is not right, but looking at Goldman Sachs, selling at one time's book, Anytime I've been able to buy Goldman Sachs at one time's book has been a pretty good thing. I mean, you see things like that, and, and, you, and, and you see them in the middle of headlines that are awful and fear of everybody telling you that they've got some huge scandal and their very secretive culture and all this. I mean, it's Goldman freaking Sachs. I mean, stop. That it. was in Just, the middle of financial crisis. It was selling for 80-some dollars a share. What's, yep. it, what's it now? 200 to 100 Oh, God. To 300 yeah, yeah, I'll check. We'll, my neighbor we'll says, I buy Goldman. It's at 85 shares, 85 a share. I wish I did. Right. You could have bought any, I mean, you could have, you know, anything you bought Make in 2009, yep. you, you're really happy about it. Yep. All right. Uh, Dan Mahaffey, we're eating into your time. So you just no stay with us and you eat into yeah. Heath's time. You just come on. And, and <laughs> well, start. I can bring up, you know, Death Cross is the name of my heavy metal cover band. So we can talk about that. <laughs> you, take it, you take your economic advice from Death Cross. Death, the Death Cross, ladies and gentlemen, is a chart pattern. And needless to say, if, if, if it's not intuitive, it is not a good thing. <laughs> and not a good thing, the death cross. Uh, and it, I saw an article today that the uh, small and mid caps are actually at a point. That it could be that they're making a death cross uh, on the chart pattern. So we shall see. Dan Mahaffey uh, we, uh, is the, uh, uh, from the Center for the Study and the Presidency and Congress in Washington, D.C., uh, an expert's expert, a Washington insider who has the scoop. Um, you've had an interesting week. Yes, and it's only the Tuesday after a long weekend. <laughs> Hell of a week. <laughs> Hell of a week. The, uh, uh, so the president's been to Paris. Correct. Uh, the president has been commenting uh, on lots of things. 
we did talk about Mr. Sessions leaving, mm-hmm. and now we're ta- hearing about other folks potentially leaving. Tell us, tell us what you've made of the past week. Has it been all president all the time, or is there congressional stories, or what else is going on on the Hill? Well, I think what I want to first note is that over the weekend, I had liberal friends telling me how sad they were to see Jeff Sessions leave D.C. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? No, my, the shock is, in my voice yes, is that you have liberal friends? I do. In fact, really? And wow. that they're sad to see Jeff Sessions go. Why that, would that they be turned, sad to see Jeff well, the fact that we've uh, that Whitaker, who's replaced him as acting attorney general, there's now the lawsuit about whether that's constitutional. Uh, well, okay, now that's uh, I know this is wonky, but why wouldn't it be constitutional for the president to appoint the assistant attorney general to be the interim attorney general? Well, so he was the chief of staff to the attorney general, which is not a Senate confirmed position, uh, and the Federal Vacancies Act, if a if a official is fired. And we have to get into the semantics of Sessions' uh, resignation letter, which is, I, at your request, have resigned uh, from this office. Sounds like fired to me. Yes. Okay. But that the uh, that Vacancies Act would then require someone like Rod Rosenstein, who is Senate-confirmed, to take the position of acting attorney general. Probably not, not number one on the president's list, Rod correct. Rosenstein, no. yeah, for that job. Um, and also the fact that Whitaker has, had, has made statements in the past about how you would uh, you might not kill the special counsel's investigation, but you can starve it, uh, things of that nature. So there's controversy within the Justice Department uh, about what uh, recusals that uh, Whitaker might have to undertake. Um, and even, too, uh, who would the president uh, be able to have confirmed as a replacement uh, for Jeff Sessions, a permanent replacement, uh, who would be seeing eye-to-eye with him on the Mueller investigation. So we talked here before, right? I mean, we talked... Okay, so confirmation's an issue. I know I stepped on the last thing you said. I'm sorry. Uh, But I'm rude, and and so never mind. Uh, I agree with that. We talked about (laughs) Lindsey Graham perhaps stepping in there. And then we also talked... Uh, 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 about uh, our, our friend from the UN being confirmed for Lindsey Graham, seat appointed by yeah, the so that they government. kind of do the, the the South Carolina two-step tango, the South Carolina shuffle. Yeah, yeah. You put you put uh, Lindsey Graham in. You know, now the other one that's being rumored is Chris Christie because he was long yes. loyal but never got a post. Um, you know, interestingly enough, Rudy Giuliani has gone off that list as we learned in the divorce proceedings about yes. the thousands of dollars spent on cigars. Um, so they're kind of trying to figure out who's confirmable and who is not uh, to get through. Uh, Lindsey Graham probably would have the best chance because senators, uh, despite their differences, look kindly on their fellow senators. Um, and, and then that, Nikki Haley gets appointed. And then Nikki Haley would be appointed to be the senator to replace. So that was a big hot rumor in Washington. Does it still have legs? Is that still happening? What are you hearing on the Hill? I'm still hearing some of it, but I think there are a lot of the attention now is focused on let's figure out the results of some of these elections. The Senate's still uh, very much on a knife's edge, as we saw the results in Arizona flip uh, over the weekend as was more that a votes big were deal? counted. It was the first uh, Democratic senator from uh, Arizona in about three decades, um, wow. also breaking a, a glass ceiling of being the first, uh, she'll be the first openly bisexual um, member of the Senate. Um, so there's a, there's a range of things that is not necessarily a, a typical Arizona senator, but that electoral coalition that she built, uh, pulling about 12 to 15 percent of Republicans away from 
the Republican candidate to her to win in a state like Arizona. That's a huge deal. That's a huge deal. <clears throat> yeah. It's a it's got Democrats looking at 2020 and thinking, okay, Beto came close, Georgia's competitive, Florida's still Florida, and we're going to go through and say maybe the South and Sun Belt isn't as uh, unassailable of a GOP bulwark as it once was. And what about Florida? Is it going to flip? Are we? I mean, what's happening? Florida's in, a, in that shape of, you know, Broward, uh, Dade County, Palm Beach County are probably the book on how you would not want to run local election authorities. <laughs> I've looked at the ballot design. It's, it's mind-boggling how that even got before the public. Um, and you know I'm a Florida resident. I, I voted in Florida, you're right. but you're right. over on the yeah, yeah. you're over on the Saner Gulf Coast, Collier County. Yes, yeah. it landed the long driveways over yes, there. Yes, exactly. Yeah. They have facial recognition to make sure you're the right voter. They do. They have gates and things like yeah, that. Right. But that's where the governor lives. By the way, that's where Rick Scott lives uh, over in Naples. Uh, it's uh, and that's uh, an interesting juxtaposition between Governor Scott and what we've seen in Arizona too. That there's, you know, there's a Kind of a, and to really reduce it down directly, uh, which Republicans think they can win elections by attracting more voters, as opposed to which Republicans think they can win elections by having fewer voters. Uh, it, 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 it's it's been fascinating. Francis Rooney, our congressman, is also lives a couple of blocks from Rick Scott. It's a, why uh, would Lindsey Graham give up a seat to be Donald Trump's Attorney General? I mean, that, that's like that's like Goldberg giving up the Supreme Court to go to the UN. Why would he do that? You you have to look at the. I don't think he's still that comfortable with the thought of a of a primary. If there's if he's not sufficiently he's in uh, establishes right? loyalty in South Carolina, that a GOP primary in South Carolina could be a decision making process, much like Jeff Flake had to face, of that or or Bob Corker as well. Examples of conservative senators who ran afoul of Trump one way or another, um, and as much as uh, Lindsey Graham has been a a loyal steward yeah. of the Trump administration. I don't think Lindsay feels that that's a, a permanent <clears throat> friendship there yet. Uh, oh. that's, that's, that, that, is, that is interesting. I don't know if, if there are permanent friendships. No, I don't think in, so. In, I mean, becoming as I mean, in Washington, general? never, but, but, but certainly uh, this White House is a bit different. So let me, I thought there was some good news that I saw this morning. Um, Treasury Secretary Mnuchin and the Chinese top trade guy, he, I believe, mm-hmm. is his name. He is his name. Uh, are attempting to, you know, when the Chinese uh, uh, premier was who? Uh, that was that was a lot of yeah. fun. <laughs> are attempting, you know, Sino-American uh, Abbott and Costello exactly right there. <laughs> uh, so, but they seem to be putting something together uh, for the talks in, uh, in in Buenos Aires, where maybe. Um, you know, Jinping and Trump can 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 do something. There was this is this good news. I mean, that 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 would be huge. I think it's at least setting the stage for at least uh, some kind of negotiation to commence and some way for both leaders to save face at this summit and avoid a a major break or or deadlock uh, in this, as well as to understand that in the international summit setting, uh, it's good to have as much negotiated in advance, predictable. Um, and avoid any kind of blow-up by having a scripted process leading up to Will it. China and the U.S. Uh, have a trade deal in 2019? I think we're going to see some relaxation <clears throat> of the perhaps the tariff back and forth on certain products or the, the broad-ranging things. I think there's still a fundamental disconnect 
though, that exists between the two countries where you have China um, with a long historical memory of suffering as it lost out in the Industrial Revolution. They want to be first and foremost in the information revolution. And therefore, they're using uh, intellectual property theft, spying, copying, state uh, market access, all these tools that they have to shelter their technology industry. Um, and they're looking to Washington that's going to be very happy to kind of let there be some small wins on manufacturing and agriculture while they're still looking towards what's the next uh, generation of innovations that will control the global economy. Right, and, and, the, and the world of IT. You know, this is one thing I am looking at. As you think about the markets coming under pressure or the economy coming under pressure, and we know that the president focuses on the mar uh, markets, you know, he can kind of, uh, I think he can probably put together some sort of a China deal. I think that he can probably find some sort of a... Um, infrastructure bill that would be job creating that would basically get uh, the House, both sides and the Democratic House, to actually spend a lot more money, yes. which, which will fuel markets. So I think he's got some things in his hip pocket that he can still do to jawbone all of those things higher. Um, as you look towards the end of the year, normally we see a lame duck session and a panicked president who mm -hmm. still has control of the House trying to jam stuff through. What we're running out of time. What are we going to get done in the balance of the year? And are, are any of these people really lame, lame ducks? <laughs> I think a lot of it is going to be continuing to push through nominees in the Senate, uh, the ability to remake the judiciary and some of the appointments that they, they still don't have filled. Um, there's some talk of could you at least set the table for infrastructure, uh, finish up some things like the, the farm bill details, uh, but really more of a housekeeping lame duck than kind of a, a big push to accomplish something in the waning days. Dan Mahaffey is the senior analyst uh, here at the Farcast, also uh, the strategist at the Center for the Study of the Presidency and Congress. Thank you, Dan, very much. Good to be here. Please stay with us. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> we're going to be back with the great Tom Heath, my old friend from the Washington Post. At least you didn't say late great. Uh, uh, I didn't say late, great. I just said old. Uh, stay with us. We'll be right back on the Farcast. Now more with Michael Farr and the Farcast. Welcome back to the Farcast. I am Michael Farr. Thank you so much for joining us again this week, inviting us into your cars and earbuds and taking us to the gym with you. We're in kitchens and offices and uh, uh, going on nice long walks out uh, along uh, the nature trails. I've gotten uh, notes from you telling me that you take me on your walks with you. I appreciate it. It's uh, largely the only exercise I get uh, is when <laughs> you is? take me on the walks, when they take me on the walks with them in their earbuds and everything. Uh, we are uh, reporting from the lovely Chatter Studios here at the Chatter Restaurant. Uh, you know, Tony Kornheiser, Gary Williams, Alan Bubis, they all have this joint. It's a great restaurant. You ought to come down to Chatter. Uh, that, that was an official plug. Tell Kornheiser he owes me, will you please, Claude? Sure, thank you. <laughs> thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, all right. Uh, Tom Heath uh, from the Washington Post is one of the folks I have been reading at the Washington Post religiously for <clears throat> All right. a, long, a long time, All right. a long time. <laughs> years uh, and years and yeah, years. Yeah, but you know, uh, with this personal finance investing beat that you've taken over. I figured that out, yeah. Uh, yeah, Stable. but you're, you're, um, 
you're solid. You're balanced. You get it. You, you're reasonable. You're thoughtful. And you, you tell people kind of you, – you give them a straight message. You don't lead them off into the thin branches. I know what I don't know, which is – an immense pool. That's the that's the secret to investing. I mean, yeah, I mean, if you want to, you, you've really got to start. I'm, I'm telling you, I'm telling well, you. Can we start with the Federal Vacancies Act? I really like to get into that. I think that's a very uh, interesting subject. Is that you know on the list of subjects I know less and <laughs> less about? Some more listeners, give me the Federal Vacancies. Right, the Federal Vacancies. You said you should be the happiest guy in Washington here, uh, Tom, because you said you uh, wrote a piece a couple of weeks ago. On uh, why you love a downturn. Well, <laughs> congrats, I, baby. You got to love a market correction. Yes, who why? doesn't? Because the pri- stocks on sale. Stocks are on sale. Yeah. Next segment. Let's move. Is Come that on. it? <laughs> yeah. what, uh, they're on sale. <laughs> they're at- on sale. Well, yeah, but what, don't you feel stupid when you go into that store that says, you know, in, in one week they're like 25% off, but you wait two weeks and they're 50% off? Yeah. You well, know, stuff that's still on the floor? Yeah, so buy more in two weeks. So yes. buy more in two yes. weeks. As long as it but continues to drop, mar- you just keep buying. These market corrections are great. If You've you got to have the stomach for it. Don't look at the stock pages once you see it going. Stay off the TV. Stay with, but don't go out and buy stocks. Don't buy more, stay, mu- do not buy stay more off mutual the TV, funds, ladies and gentlemen. Buy more mutual funds. Call, uh, watch uh, CNBC, please, at least if you're on TV, and 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 invest with Far Miller and. You've Washington. had some good hits on there lately, Mike. They've been good to Mighty me. They've, Mike. They, they like you. They almost said, "Well, they're very nice to me," but you know, they had uh, they they had a special scheduled for last night. It was one of those, you know, the market was down 600 points, yeah. so we're going to have another end-of-the-world special. Yes. Yes. It was going to be the third end-of-the-world special that I was on in the past month. Um, what happened? Uh, they canceled it at the last minute. They put Joe Kernan on till about 6 o'clock at night, and then they put Kramer on, and they were over. That's 600 points. It was, it was, it didn't go down two, did it go 2%? 2%. I guess so. Yeah. 2%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, so it's not as big a deal. 600 points when, when I was in short pants uh, early in my career. Uh, back in October of 1987, yeah. we had a 580-point drop. Uh, that was significant. That was a big hit then. You yeah, bet your ass. That was the Reagan crash. Well, I remember that. I remember that very well. Right. I was, uh, yeah, I was a young stockbroker at that time. So Market correction, good good thing to have. Last time that we had a market, what, what was the 09, in the financial crisis, I burrowed right in and bought a bunch of uh, Index 500. When That's, do you sell? I haven't yet. Really? I mean, well, I'll tell you. I bought some individual stocks 20 years ago. And? And uh, one was GE. I sold that after five or six years of Jeff Amell, and the stock was going nowhere. I bought McDonald's, and that went nowhere for 10 years. It was at $35 a share. I sold, and now it's at, what, 175 in the best, one of the best-performing stocks? Yes. Uh, I bought at Who knew? Hamburgers. That, that did hamburgers, nothing. really? People I, like I, hamburgers? I'm telling you, I just buy mutual funds. That's what I do. I'm not smart enough. I can't go up against these guys. You could hire Farm Miller in Washington. All day. We do it all day. Uh, Randall Stevenson, by the way, from AT&T, fabulous guy. Really bright guy. Well, you guy. golf with him? You golf uh, with him? I, I can't really discuss the nature of our relationship, but I will tell you. You get one-on-one with Randall? Yeah. Oof. You want to meet him? No, no, I'm not. No. Why? You'd be too nervous. Because I'm not a Stage stock right. sniffer, all right? Well, <laughs> you can learn a, more, a lot more He's, about at I'm sure he's a nice guy. He comes off very well on your, on your CNBC. He is a very nice guy. But uh, he, he, they needed that. They wanted that deal with Time Warner. They, they needed content. And it was really interesting to listen to, ta- to, listen to Randall Stevens. It. Yeah, but they, they needed it. And when we'll you look see. at what Disney's doing uh, in terms of content, uh, and they're going to roll out their on-demand video service coming up. Disney I mean, doesn't make many mistakes. Iger really, he's on his Disney. game. They Disney. should keep him. For, I was going to, 
you know, I was going to say he wasn't worth the money they got. You know, he's been there so long, find a successor, but he just keeps nailing it. Uh, I should fully disclose that company. we do. It is one of our names. We do own Disney, but yeah. It's, it's, you oh, should boy. disclose that. Yes, I, I disclose that. Yeah. I don't own AT&T. I don't think in any of the portfolios. Brooklyn, wait a minute. Andy? Any? David? David. I've got an analyst here, for God's sake. <laughs> David. My analyst, David Garcia, is here tonight. psychoanalyst? He's part of the, well, he is, is partially sh- psychoanalyst. Uh, you know, he's partially psychoanalyst. That's a job of everybody. You know, it takes a village. I, I doubt. Yeah. I doubt. So, okay. So, uh, you're not a big seller. You like the, no, and, and so what are you seeing, what are you seeing now through this downturn? You're going to buy it, and you don't get upset by this. No. What no, do you tell I do. I have the stomach. Upset. Believe it or not, I bite my nails. I'm 63 years old. I still bite my nails. I can't believe you got 63 out of me on this show again. But uh, I bite my nails. I'm a nervous guy. But you know what? The stock market just doesn't bother me. I'm not a gambler. I just sit and I think, you know, if you don't believe, if you, you got to believe in the system. You got to figure capitalism works. It's going to be around. It always comes back. If it doesn't, you got more problems than just your stock losses. So you just. Do you, you have know, like burp? every? You have everything you own in stocks? No, I got. You know, I got a bunch in cash. I got a bunch in bonds, believe it or not. I don't know why, because I don't know anything about bonds. Don't ask me about bonds. But I, you know, 75%, 65% of my holdings are in stocks, mostly in mutual funds. I've had some luck with some purchases. Uh, oil companies, great dividends. Uh, I like oil. I think it'll be around. But if you're going to think about trends, because I was thinking about, you know, the future and right. trends and stuff. Right. A fascinating piece in the FT on the Financial Times on the cover right. today is is – are we going to electric cars and is oil just going to be left on the wayside? Everybody's trying to crack that nut. Everybody's trying right. to figure out. Right. Are, we, are, is every, are there going to be 100 million Teslas in 2040? Uh, and even if there were, though, I don't know if I'd – I don't know if it will make money. I don't know if I'd invest in electric cars. Somebody's going to make money off that. But the whole idea of, of oil and whether it's going to be stranded assets and figuring that out, I mean, that's just fascinating, figuring out the next trends. Are we going to be Tre- flying 747s on, uh, on batteries, do you think? Google, there's a piece today that Google's starting their autonomous business. You're going to buy autonomous Google, be able to dry, ride in them or something like that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's yeah. a story today. But, 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 but what about flying in them? Oh, I mean, yeah. I'm, I, don't, I, I don't know if I, I want, want to get somebody a battery-powered plane. I want somebody at the helm. Yeah. But we're also reaching an interesting point, just to briefly on oil, is that we're where it's going to be equal between transportation and petrochemicals. Right. It's going well, to be an even split. That right. used to be majority transportation. Right. right. Now it's going to be the petrochemical market that drives oil growth. Exactly. But you're going to have to get the – when you plug in your electric car, even if it comes off, even if people if have faith that they're not going to get left 30 miles from home with a, a dead car, a dead battery – even if you figure that out, the power's got to come from somewhere. Somebody's yeah, got yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and it ain't going to be solar and wind. They, they, and they're, they're, running, you know, they're running these uh, coal-powered plants all over Asia trying to build these batteries fast enough to put in the damn cars. Exactly. I mean, but, the, 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 yeah. the, the carbon emissions out of the coal-burning uh, coal plants are much worse than if you'd had the gasoline power engine in the car the whole time. But, it, I mean, when you think about trying to figure the, the next trend out and whether that's going to work, you got th- Shell Oil... Royal Dutch Shell's been around for, what, 120 years? Yeah. Still, they don't know what's going to happen. They're hedging their bet on this. And they must have hundreds of PhDs, you know, studying this stuff day and night, figuring out, you know, we're going to have stranded assets. How is somebody going to have a breakthrough on a battery? Are we going to have electric cars everywhere? Right. Is, are we, should we get into natural gas? They have gotten into natural gas. But it's the kind of dilemmas you face every day if you're picking stocks. You, if you're trying to stay on the edge of that stuff and pick stocks and pick winners – you got to be smarter than everybody else. You got to do it full time, and even then, you don't know. You don't know 
where in the next trend, what companies are going to make the money? It's right. like TV sets. TV, nobody made money off TV sets, but Bill Paley figured out, oh, I'll put programs on it and sell commercials and make a ton. You know what he did? He was a cigar maker. Yeah, well, you know, at the turn of the century, everybody said you would argue a lot about which carriage company you should buy exactly. just before they before they made uh, put put engines in the damn things. But the wisdom on Wall Street was: doesn't matter. Don't worry about which carriage company. Buy buggy whips. Every carriage needs a buggy whip, huh? But, but you know what? If Don't you worry bought, about the carriage. If you bought whip. railroads, you didn't do that well either. Well, your buggy I mean, whips are kind of You had to die the people the that sold the railroads, like the steel companies and stuff like that. But Things the point change. I'm making in all this is yeah. it's so hard to figure out the trends. It's so hard to buy stocks. You just got You don't know who's going to die around the corner. This is why I love Heath, though, Kodak because is. what he says is when it's going down, you buy it. You don't try and get cute and start picking stuff. Buy the market, and then if it goes down more, buy a little bit more, and you're going to sang with it for the long time. So you're doing that. Are, tell me what you're focused on now, Tom. We've only got a couple of minutes left. Coming into the end of the year... Uh, if, if the end of the year matters to you, wh- what are you focused on? What's going on in Washington focused, investing or the Federal Reserve or what? I, I'm focused on a fragile market. I mean, it's like Jimmy was talking about earlier. You know, Uriel, uh, yeah. Goldman, Jimmy Uriel. Goldman gets a, a report on a Malaysia guy who says we're going to sue him. Yeah. And the stock drops, what, 7 or 8%. Right. I mean, this is Goldman Sachs. You could argue it's the best financial services company. People are in so hyped in yeah. the world. I it's own a it cash too. machine. I own it, it is a cash machine. Yeah, huge. And it hires everybody there has an IQ of 6,000, and, and they're all genius. I all they do is make money. There. I did. Like, I interviewed. You did? Yes, I got a five letter uh, response, a five word uh, response from Goldman Sachs. Ha 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 ha. That was it. <laughs> Thank you. Mr. They're Mark. like great white sharks. Dear they, Mr. They, Bar. No, ha, they, ha 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 ha. They just uh, sleep, eat, and make money. Yes. Uh, and so um, uh, the point I was making is that, you know, Goldman Sachs. Uh, what was the point I was making, Mike? Uh, that, the, that we're seeing oh, a yeah, lot the of fragility, fragility, the, fragility, uh, the fragility in the market. It happens when you're 63. Exactly. Don't let that worry you. We had a little uh, elder statesman moment. Yeah. Um, but I'm, I, the market's too fragile. I'm not going to – I'm buying some, put in my mutual fund in 401ks. But I'm saving any, any disposable income, putting in cash, and I'm holding on to that. Because I think there's going to be a crash sooner or later, and it's probably going to be sooner. You but I am so? not a soothsayer. I don't know. But in the next year, I guess – you know, with all the craziness going on, the Democrats coming in, I don't know if they'll do anything. I'm not sure the gridlock is good. But it's fragile, man. Things are... Well, this uh, has been the are, longest uh, anticipated oil, bear market of my career that just won't happen. Oil prices tanked today, you know? I mean, everybody's freaking over oil prices. So what? It went down 10 bucks, 7 bucks. It's not a big deal. But everything's, lower, everything's right? hyper, hypersensitive. And yeah. I think... Uh, and that makes me nervous. So what I'm thinking about is I'm just going steady, and steady as she goes. Steady as she goes. Tom Heath from the Washington Post. Thank you so much. It's great when Thanks, you're on the Mighty podcast. Uh, we love it when you're on, Tom. And we get such great notes back, by the way, from our listeners. It, they say, get Heath back. Get, get Heath off of there. Get Heath back is what <laughs> Who's they that say. Idiot that it's confusing that. to me at times. How old is he, Mike? Could you get his, could you get his age on He's the... 162 years old. It's, uh, it's amazing uh, how he gets around all by himself. And he still drives at night out there. Uh, Randall no, Stevenson. Don't, yeah, Randall Stevenson's fabulous. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, please remember that if you think you heard any recommendation to buy or sell a security here on the Farcast, you did not. If you're thinking about making a change to your portfolio, your asset allocation, or doing anything differently with your money based on anything you heard here, please don't. Please check with a financial advisor or professional. Get some good advice. Don't be emotional about it. And please, if we can be helpful, give us a call at Farr, Miller, and Washington, farmiller.com. 
I will make the introduction to one of our senior folks. They've got really nice people who are very talented, and they'd love to help you. Once again, thank you so much for being with us again this week. I am very, uh, very thankful to you all. In Washington, D.C., we'll be back again next week with a great forecast. I'm Michael Farr.